it is pretty rare nowadays that you're just what you're seeing is the fruit of prayer and study. I really do. I think most of it has to do with the fruit of how can I get the catharsis during my talk? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special episode of Every Knee Shall Bow. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by Dave, Extreme Narcissist Van Bickle. How you doing, Dave? Extreme? <laughs> what is that all about? <laughs> Whoa, that was, ad, that was ad hominem. That was ad hominem, right? It there. was ad hoc and ad hominem. Dave, <laughs> this is an intervention. It's not a podcast show. You're a narcissist. Who else You're is Jackie there? and I hate you. Who else is there? <laughs> Your mom is here. Your dad's listening. <laughs> Jeff Cavins is in the next room cracking a beer. Oh my it's going to be awesome. I would literally just crawl into a corner and die if Jeff Cavins were inter- intervening in my life. Listen, brother. Listen, brother. You don't know the sweeping story of God's plan in the Bible. <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. So, Dave, how are you? How was your, your spiritual warfare shenanigans? Oh, it was good, you know. Um, it uh, so it went really well. There was about a, um, let's see, 120 people there, and um, everybody like really on board and everything like that. So all their questions were like really pointed, and 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 they did a good job. I mean, it's a it's a rigorous day, you know. Like it's talk after talk after talk after talk. Like the only thing you compare it to is like grade school, you know. So it's like you're you're getting six or seven classes in a, in one day. Um, and, and it's intense, you know, they're, they're stretching intellectually, but, um, I'll tell you what, man, I, you know, good priests will always say like, ah, I don't want to focus on the devil. And I feel like saying like, Hey man, you, you don't, you don't realize there is just not enough focus right now. And I'm not saying we should shift the focus to the devil. I'm just saying people feel helpless out there. They really do feel helpless and they feel like spiritual warfare is raging around them and they don't know what to do. You know, they have, so it was good. It was a it was a good weekend. Great people. Peter's Shadow Healing Ministry. If you're ever in Ohio, they put on some really great events. Uh, they they hosted it, and I met a young priest who's on their board or something like that, who was just fantastic. So there's there's hope in these young priests. What's going on with you? I've been staying local. Um, I signed up with uh, one of the things that I do is I partner with our elementary faith formation coordinator, Christine Marlowe, who's amazing. And I help do all of the parent faith formation meetings, right? So at the beginning of the year, we have we have two thousand kids that are in just elementary faith oh formation. Oh my goodness! Right, that 2, is amazing. Kids. It is insane. So we have um, two classes on Sunday, one on two on Monday, and one on Wednesday. I think something like that. Yeah, whatever. I, I, lose, yeah, I lose track of them all. Um, And so what I do is I go to all the parent meetings and they give me about 20 minutes and I do my evangelization kick, right? And so the whole idea of um, doing this in this time of year, everything's getting kicked off. So I am rushing around trying to get all of our stuff done for adult faith stuff and then going and doing these talks with elementary faith formation. And the whole purpose is – so I have a couple lines that I use that I love. Like one of them is, you know, I don't know you people. You don't really know me. I, I, I one, one of them I said, raise your hands if you've ever, like, seen me before at the parish. And three hands went up out of a room of 200. Dude, wow. I am everywhere. I am, yeah, I am right, at masses. Right, right. I'm doing announcements. So I'm like, okay, right. these are the people I want to focus on more than any other group. 
more right. than any other group. So right. what we did was uh, I, I came out with a resource page that had all these things that they could learn about their faith. On the back, I gave them a prayerful meditation page and some quotes from the catechism to get them to break their own understanding of why Catholicism. It's not rules and do's and don'ts. It's right. not doctrines to memorize. It's the person behind the doctrines, right? And right. so the first paragraph one, the first paragraph of the morality section, the last paragraph of one of the of the sacrament introduction sections. I, I just love them. Um, and Ephesians chapter one for them to go and pray and meditate on. Um, but the whole point is to get them to see the value in coming back to church to understand their faith. Because right. about we believe it's about fifty percent do not take their kids to mass. Oh, but it's got to be higher them. than that. Yeah, right? at, at, that we can that we can tell that we can tell. Okay. Um, and but they bring their kids weekly to faith formation, right? So priorities, right? So what we want to do is help reach out to them and connect with them on these things. And so I just go in and I do about ten minutes on adult faith formation, ten minutes on. Um, evangelization and why it matters and why prayer matters. And then I invite them all to a talk that I'm giving just for them called, basically it's an introduction to pray, uh, to prayer, how to pray. And so, and that's an immediate follow-up two weeks from now. So that is, I'm like running around like, at one, at one point, at one point, uh, I, I, I had like five meetings during the day. I duck out to go home at 430 to talk to my wife or at four fifteen to talk to my hang out with my kids and eat dinner and then I have to leave at five to travel another twenty five minutes back to work in order oh to gosh. do these these events. And this is what happened. My wife was supposed to have a meeting in the evening and I was having two meetings back to back that I had to figure oh out gosh. how to make work. And we had our four kids. So we're trying to get all this stuff going, and I, you know, I get it all. I finally figure out the schedule. Shannon's going to come right before a meeting with the kids. I'm going to leave my meeting at this time and grab the kids and drive them home. Boom, done. And just then, my son screams from upstairs, bolts down, crying, blood in his eye. My other son kicked him in the face. Oh, my gosh. Split his eyelid, and my wife had to take him to the ER. Oh, to get stitched or to get glued, and I grabbed two of my kids and take them up to church, put them in the nursery. Right. They were so bored; it was so funny. And like we're just like running around like crazy people. And I'm like, "Yes, parents, I know how crazy life can be. Yeah, but your faith yeah. matters." <laughs> so <laughs> did did so, any of our listeners catch out that uh, that bourgeois tone where he said, "I took my kids, put them in the nursery at his work." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So let, let me the, tell you something, Gomer. You're not an evangelist until your kid's sitting in the front row and you're yelling at him during the talk, all right? That's, oh my that's the way it works there. So many times has that <laughs> happened. My kids are permanently banned from room 205 because of the shenanigans they caused during RCIA. One day, one, one day, I'm like, all you have to do is sit in the back for 45 minutes. I will shorten my talk. Just be yeah. quiet. Sit in right. the back. You got books. You got coloring books. I had. Right. I, I should have brought the iPad. I've done That'll all that. Drone, yeah. So at one point, I look down, and I see chairs moving. And I'm like, why are those chairs? What the heck? And I keep talking. And then one of the guys sitting more towards the back goes, whoa. And he looks down. My kids are crawling through the chair legs on the floor underneath it. the chairs. And they crawled through a man's legs. And I I'm love like, it. What? What a oh, family. And this dovetails right into our topic for today. Yeah. yeah. The life of an evangelist. <laughs> yeah. The life of an evangelist. It's one of the things I think about all the time is that like uh, I, like I kind of long for almost like the missionary lifestyle, like a foreign missionary lifestyle because, 
you, it at least there's a focus on one thing, you know. Yep. But the idea of like living domestically, having to support your family, and be an evangelist is is a strange thing to to try and conquer. You know? Do you know what I mean? The thing is, we make our money from the mission, from the church, in the actual mission work. I think that's like if me and you were to go off on mission, we would be supported by people who believe in our work who are going to fund us. Right. But it's it's not like they fund individual talks. You know, like right. we right. get paid for the actual doing of the thing. Right. And we know a teacher is worth his wages and all that good stuff. But it is so they're produced within us. There produces not just the conflict of trying to do 57 things and all that. But then there is this conflict of am I selling yeah. The gospel. Right. How do you, how do you deal with that? So, well, first of all, I I don't. Um, first of all, uh, up until about a year ago, I did almost no self promotion ever, ever in my life. You know, and if people like said like like I would never describe myself as a speaker. You know, um, it, the other thing is up until about a year ago, I I just took whatever someone would give me to talk, which is like a dangerous precedence to set. Um, and then like, I was talking to father Dave Pavanka who was like giving me a little bit of spiritual direction at the time. And, um, he was like, wait, what? I was like, yeah, I just take whatever they give me. You know, I just, it's just like a love offering from the parish. And he's like, you mean, you mean you take a collection? I said, no. And he's like, you, whatever the parish wants to pay you, they pay you. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, Dave, you're going to go home today and you're going to change your contract immediately. Like you are not allowed to do that when you have a family. You have to figure out what you need for your family, and you need to charge fairly for that, he said. And I was like, well, Father Dave, if I charged what other speakers charge, like, do you realize how much money I would be making? And he said, wait a minute now. You have all those medical bills. You give back to the church. You give to, you know, alms for the poor, things like that. Are Do you really think you're going to be rich? And all of a sudden I was like thinking in my head, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm never, ever going to be rich, you know. And so that that night I went home and I was like, okay, I got to change some things because there was times when I'd leave the family and it's hard on my wife, like you know, and I'd come home with, you know, I'd be gone for three days and I'd come home with maybe, I don't know, $500 or something like that, which is beautiful and wonderful. But the truth is it just doesn't, it didn't justify my time being away. So it was so yeah. hard to, to navigate that. And I, I, I like went sleepless many nights, like. Because I, I felt so guilty when I first changed my contract. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't help but have guilt feelings around money. And so whenever I feel like I need to raise my rates or do something, I'm doing it because it's hurting my family at the pace that I'm doing. And I know some right. of y'all are out there saying, well, just say no to these gigs. And I It's do, not that easy. But it's, it's not, not that, easy. that easy. Right. It's not that easy because, like, Dave has a lot of medical bills for his kids that he has to pay for. Um, I am just, I said it before and I'll say it again. I am scared when it comes to providing for my family, especially in the future, that when you work for the church, it's almost impossible. I, I would bet you if you were to sit down with a lot of church workers whose full income is from working for the church, that most of them are living on credit cards. The vast oh, majority yeah. are living on right. credit cards. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God I'm not doing that. Right. I mean, I had a diocese that offered, that wanted to offer me to run this huge thing, uh, $35,000 a year. 
And they said, you know, it's like a 50, 60 hour a week job, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, no. my gosh. Right. Yeah. I was, no, you're destroying my family for nothing. Oh, my right. gosh. No, thank you. And so what we want to do is kind of illustrate in this that the life of a traveling professional evangelist is not exactly what people think that it is. But the the big thing that, that for me um, I realized was you're not paying for – the time it takes to make my to do my talk. I had one woman write me an email, a, a pretty angry email, after I had done a re- like a week before I had done a presentation and why she was going to pay me less. And she goes, "You know, it's only a forty-five minute talk." Ugh. Yeah, it's just that's just not true. It's just not right. true. <laughs> I was like, "It is, but it's a three-hour drive up there, a right. three-hour drive back there." I'm not just giving a 45-minute talk. I'm at the event for two hours because you don't want me walking in without right. saying, you know, you know, all that stuff beforehand and touching base and running through the schedule, right? So it's all of that. I said, and it's all the effort I put in to prepare the talk, and it's all the years of schooling I have and experience I have so that I can give the kind of talk that, that matters for your parish or your group or your setting. And, it, yeah, so it, that was very difficult. And I read a Jewish rabbi who said – I do not charge per hour, or I do not charge for the talks that I give. Like, he doesn't say, well, if I give three talks, you owe me $3,000. He said, I charge for my time away from my family because I cannot charge for the Torah. Right. And to me, that that hit me so deeply. Yeah. I'm, I'm a similar way. That's kind of the way I, I, you know, kind of started to realize, like, okay, if they're paying me for my time, I'm going to be evangelizing constantly while I'm there, you know? So I open it up. I say I'll do it's it's you pay for the day and I'll do unlimited things, whatever you want. But I, even like I even think about it like when I'm at the airport, the person sitting next to me on the plane, I'm always ready to like evangelize. Not that I'm not other times, but I feel like that that burden that yeah, somebody's paying me right now to leave my family and to evangelize and and I want to be open to that in a certain sense, you know. So I I'm always very careful. I'm I'm also really careful about the way I interact with these parishes and the things that I demand and things like that. Like I, I don't demand really anything, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, basically the easiest speaker you could book as far as like, you know, details and stuff like that. I just, uh, cause I just feel like, look, what, what we're here is we're in partnership for the gospel. You know, it's not about a celebrity kind of speaker. It's not that. Yeah. And I'm not the celebrity. So you're not booking me for that. Yeah. And, one of the reasons why I love being a C-list Catholic celebrity, which is my running joke, is that no one – my name doesn't get people to show up at places. Right. It's right. the message that that's going to happen, right? And so but, – but here's the problem, Dave, and tell me if you see this as much as I do, right? There is a culture of Catholic speakers, and I don't mean of the uh, – you know, within us as speakers or whatever. There is a culture of, of laity who come to consume a talk. Yep. Right. I remember I was at an event and these elite theologians were giving these very good talks. And a guy walked up to me from my church and goes, Gormley, you could have given that talk twice as good. Come on. We, right. wow, what's right. going on? And I realized at that moment that we're always being rated as to how good a talk we give. <laughs> right. Like constantly. And that, I mean, everyone does it. Like, oh, that was a good talk. That was a bad talk. That was boring. That was monotone. That was this, that. Right. Yeah. I, I, I see, to me, I, I think that. It is pretty rare nowadays that you're just what you're seeing is the fruit of prayer and study. I really do. I think most of it has to do with the fruit of 
how can I get the catharsis during my talk? Yeah. And, and, uh, and I think, and I, I'm not even necessarily blaming people because a lot of the people who are hiring you, that's what it's for. One of the things that, uh, Bob Rice said, uh, about, I was, uh, having a drink with him about like a, a couple months ago. And he was saying that what he says to his youth ministry class is if you live a, a life of daring, bold, daring gospel living, that you will have wonderful stories to share and the drama of the kerygma will be in your life and you'll have wonderful stories to share. And I, I really did think about that, that that is a, that's a great way to put it that if, you know, because there is that pressure to like share these dramatic stories. Um, and then you see the pressure of people almost even like massaging the stories to make them a little bit more dramatic and stuff like that. One of the um, best lines I ever heard one of my youth minister buddies said, one day I, I yearned to stop lying during my talks. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> and he's like, you know, I just exaggerate so many stories to make the point. I would be so afraid that somebody would figure that out. I could never do it, you know. <laughs> Every word that comes out of my mouth comes out with fear and trepidation, you know, <laughs> which is not, I mean, which you would never know that when I'm speaking because I'm constantly ripping on the bishops and clericalism. But um, <laughs> uh, it's very rare nowadays that you're getting the fruit of prayer and of study. And that's what I try and really strive to is I very rarely write down a talk. In fact, I'm a terrible speaker uh, with, with regards to that. That's why I, I think that's why I don't get booked at bigger events because you never know what I'm going to say. Um, because I, I really, I pray and I study and I pray and I study and I might have a few, few thoughts ahead of time, but for the most part, what I'm giving, uh, is just, is just me. I mean, I'm just, it's, it's coming up, coming to me at that time. And, um, you know, there could be themes and stuff like that, but for the most part, it's organic. Now I do have my one talk that I give everywhere and that one, you could pretty much time your watch by the jokes and things like that. So that is canned clearly. Yeah, and I, and I want to talk to something that you said. Um, I want to show you the negative side, people, about being a, a traveling evangelist, right, who gets paid to do this, right, is um, – the, so you said bold gospel living will produce wonderful stories to share. That is powerful. This is what happens when you're exhausted from the road, right? This is why you meet speakers who are fussy, and I'm not going to say they're wrong in this, um, but they can get very fussy in what they want is because the road itself is exhausting. Don't believe me? Bob Seger wrote a song called Turn the Page, and it's all about <laughs> it. And now that every time I get done from a talk and I'm driving home, if it's after 11 p.m. and I, my plane hasn't landed yet, right, that song is the first song I listen to um, as my, as <laughs> my is, sad, sad so, anthem. so ridiculous. Yes. Let yeah, me yeah, play I'm a the world's tiniest violin for you. Yeah, I know. I know. I just was flown to give a talk on the subject I love the most, and people gave me money for it, and I'm like, you know, all this stuff. No, but I get it because the tra yeah. traveling is, is brutal. The brutal. road is exhausting. It is. And so when people, like, everywhere I go, people are like, hey, do you want some pizza? Do you want some lasagna? And you're, after a while, your waistline takes a toll. So people then begin saying, well, I'm doing keto. I'm gluten-free. I'm all this. And it makes the host so fussy or that makes the host so annoyed at how fussy the speaker is being. But that uh, that's my one caution about this. Sometimes they come yeah, across I get this. It. I get it. Right. But I do. Uh, but I, I'm not like that because I'm afraid people will say, oh, he thinks he's a celebrity. Right. But the funny thing is, here's the dark side of that quote. Bold gospel living will produce wonderful stories is, you know, you have to have stories. So the hack, the hack, right, is, uh, 
you go to do things just to have stories. I know. I know. So one day I'm on an airplane and I'm like, I'm chatting up with this person in the line and I'm and I literally said, the people on every knee shall bow are gonna love this. <laughs> and I realized I was having the conversation so that I could share it on the podcast, right. not so that I could speak Christ's truth into this person's life. Right. How yeah. horrible is that? That's yeah. the temptation. No, I people. get it. I get it. Right? I totally get that. Yesterday, I was in uh, in Steubenville filming the sh- the the EWTN show Franciscan University presents, and so it was. Um, so I was like the special guest, and then it was the the normal people are uh, Doctor Scott Hahn, Doctor Regis Martin, and then the new president, Father Dave Pavanka. Wait, you and- were on Franciscan University presents. Well, I'm. I'm it, they recorded it yesterday. I don't know when it'll show. I don't think anybody even watches that show. Are you kidding me? It's my no. favorite. You're such used, a liar. You're I used lying. to get VHS tapes of it from the library when we were in college. There. None of this is true. I can't believe it. Uh, the, just ask our buddy John. Go on. All right, all right. One time right, I heard so. Regis Martin say the most intelligent thing. May our density of piety inspire the human. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's so awesome. Uh, he anyways, like when I left Steubenville... What, literally a thought in my head was like, oh, man, why did I take a picture with Scott Hahn and Father Dave and Dr. Regis Martin? You know, like, so I could put it on social media. Isn't that yeah. sick? It's it sick. Is. It's sick. But that's what promotion, and I want to point out, that's what, that's what it makes you do. Right? And you're like, I know I need to promote myself in order to get talks <laughs> because the talks get the money and the money feeds my kids. Right. However, there's an element of, have I just soiled my hands? I know. You know, I've I soiled know. the gospel. And that's why, like what you were saying, I'm terrible at self-promotion. One of the things that I did deliberately was I started a website called layevangelist.com because I was afraid to have a website called michaelgormley.com or Michael yeah. Speaks or Gomer, yeah. you know, book Gomer now, whatever it might be, because... I was afraid of being like Michael Gormley is a dynamic speaker. Go to his website, Michael Gormley, you know, email me at Mike at Michael Gormley. Right. And I was afraid of that. So I wanted to put a little distance there um, in order to introduce in order to introduce some of the stuff. But let's go on to something else. Let's talk about our family and what being a traveling evangelist does to your family. Dave, how many kids you got? I don't think I don't think people want to know. I have five for now. Five for now is what we usually say. Uh, (laughs) And how we're going for twins and triplets next. So (laughs) keep that in your prayers. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, Dave wants a huge family. I'm terrified of all my kids. Um, The experience of traveling is the experience of your spouse is now a single parent. Right. Right. And everything is on them. Right. Right. So what is that? What is that like? I mean, does your wife, do you guys ever have a conversation about that? Okay, I mean, this is a constant thought on our head. Yeah. Like the the constant thought, it, you know, it, the constant question is, well, how are we gonna, how are we gonna do this for Amber? Physically, physically, she cannot do it because my son Max, right, can't get himself in and out of bed, uh, and he's getting heavy, you know. So it's harder and harder on her. Now we're blessed that my in laws fully support the apostolate, fully support it. So they will come and stay with her and help, but. I mean, not always, you know, and definitely not with local talks and stuff like that. So it is it is totally exhausting to my family. And you know what I realized? One of the first thoughts in their head when I get home is, well, did how did people respond? And I realize it's because they feel very much a part of this whole thing. Like they oh, want to awesome. know, you know, they want to know what happened and, and if people were moved or touched or, you know, like what happened during this because – 
in a certain sense, it like makes it all worthwhile. Do you know what I mean for them? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, I mean, that's hard. I think, I think what else is, was hard about, um, the family is that it's also puts pressure on other traveling or other recreational activities because it kind of gets to the point where if I'm gone so much, the last thing you want to do when we're all together is maybe mom and dad go out on a date by themselves or something like that. So that's hard because the kids don't want you to leave again and stuff like that. And that, so that puts a strain on things, but for the most part, they have to really see it as we're as much a part of this as, as dad is. And that's true. There's a, there's no question about it. What about you? In my family, that doesn't really happen. So well, that they don't, they don't get on board with it. They no. No, we <laughs> Shannon is a saint, though. Shannon she, oh, is, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. it is so I, I think the reason why is I'm trying my best not to let the impact of the traveling mess with them. Right. So like I'll talk. I mean, we talk about the things. Daddy, what did you talk about? Who did you talk to? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's a little bit, but they <laughs> don't really care about the outcome like your like your saintly children do. They. <laughs> Um, Daddy, they look did at any me. souls come to Jesus from the from the pits of hell during your talk? <laughs> no, just know. one, and I sent him back. No, um, <laughs> they. I don't know why I said that. Uh, they, you can see how disappointed they are when I'm when I just come back like that, that or when I have to leave. The, the hardest part for me is I want my wife to take me to the airport with the kids so I can have every, right. every minute with them. But then it becomes harder because they're seeing me leave, and then they have to leave that place. So there's like a double yeah, of course. sorrow. Yeah, yeah, and it's that's when they cry, you know, and all this stuff. And you're just looking at them like, <sighs> and then I go to these churches, and I'm at mass, and invariably the family with the young kids sits in front of me, and I'm like looking at their kids and seeing. My oh, own, and I'm so and I'm sad. Like, I hate yeah. it so much. Oh, it happens. It happens every time. So one of the things that we do. Is I always, you know, every time I go to a mass or an adoration at an event, I always offer it for my family. And I text my wife and I'll be like, hey, honey, you know, we're about to have mass. I'm offering it. Do you have any intentions, any things like that? And, and that's that's big. And, I'll, you know, we try to do the FaceTime and all that stuff. But half the time, like when I'm booked for a talk, I'm doing like three or four talks back to back that when I'm available to talk, my wife is not. I know. Happens and, to me all the time. And that just rips into your relationship. And then so what you just said was very, very true. I try once a year to get away with my wife, right, to take a weekend and to go somewhere. And we haven't, we didn't, we weren't able to do it in 2018 at all. And I feel so guilty leaving them. And the fact that I'm also now taking their mommy away, like, uh, oh, so it does, it puts a strain on your marriage. So all these people, do you get these people every time you give a talk, they come up and like, how can I give a talk? How can I do that? Oh, yeah. Every I, I single say, I, day I get emails from students at Franciscan University who are seniors saying, I'd like to get into speaking. Could I have the talks that you don't respond yes to? And I say, what talks are those? And now I see you as a competitor. No, I'm just kidding. I don't say that. But. <laughs> I don't say that too loudly. Um, so, yeah. So th- these are words of caution. And what would you say uh, – how do you intentionally involve your family in Wait. on – Wait, first of all, can we just go out? Yeah. Let, let's just throw this out there, first of all, and say our wives get the bl- the brunt of this. Like, it's way worse on yeah. the wives. Way yeah. worse. Like, we don't – yeah, I mean, we're not doing bedtime routines by ourselves on the road or something like that. I mean, it's like my I, – I, 
I mean, there's a guilt the entire time I'm gone because yeah. I, my wife handles it. I don't know how she does it. I really don't because I would go crazy, but, but uh, she does it, you know, and they have the harder part. So, um, how do I handle it? I don't handle it well, you know. Um, I'm, you know, I, I get, I feel guilty when I see speakers, you know, facetiming all their kids, you know, before bedtime and like leading them in prayer. Um, I, I. I I try my best to, you know, keep in, in as much touch as I can, you know, but um, for the most part, it's like you said, the schedules are always so varied as far as like the times for talks and stuff. I, I think so many of my messages either from my wife or to my wife have been, no, I can't believe you're not answering. I have to go on in 10 minutes and I thought maybe we'd have time to talk, you know, um, so it's hard, you know. The other thing I found, this is a funny way that uh... – it affects my family. So me and my wife were talking about money constraints and how the pressure is to always say yes because the this yep. life comes at you. Yep, yep. So and we you and I both work full-time jobs outside of this. So we work full-time at a parish and we travel 20 30 hours um you know sometimes a week <laughs> to do these talks. Right. You know, we're doing whole weekends, we're in airplanes, connecting flights, airport layovers, all delays, all that stuff. Um but the other thing is how it affects your family. Someone offered to buy my wife uh, a $100 pair of jeans. And my but, wife said, "Really? Could, yeah, am I, like it, at a talk?" No, 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 no. Sorry. It was it was I'm trying to be intentionally vague. It was oh, okay. a So my wife's mom offered to buy her <laughs> <laughs> a, a nice pair of jeans. And my wife said this. She said... Sorry, uh, Mrs. Rothkopf. Yeah, she said, those aren't my style, but even if they were, I would still have to say no. And she's like, well, why? And she's like, because you're married to a businessman and I'm married to a church worker. Oh, and if I go walking around in $100 yeah. pair of jeans, what are people going to think we spend our money on? And she's like, but it's not you spending. It's me giving you this generous gift. And she's like, I know. But again, it's not my style. Oh, that's but also, interesting. I don't want to ever make someone second guess my husband's work because of the way we live our lives. Huh. So for huh. it, so I because and I'll tell you this. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you the percentage of Catholic speakers that worry about this. Uh, I'm guessing one percent. What do you think? <laughs> well, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just yeah. telling you the truth. Well, because I was talking to someone and they they talked about how they donate money, and it's a household brother of ours, and okay. uh, he said. I refuse to give to one place because I don't want to. Sp- I don't want to fund his fifty thousand dollar truck expense because this guy drives around a brand new truck. And he said, Whoa. and I don't give to so and so because I don't care about their kitchen remodel. And I, like I don't know who he's talking about in particular, but he's going through all this stuff and he's like, they're not living the life of an evangelist. And he's like, and he says this point direct. He said, How, what kind of car do you drive? And I said, my pastor's used Honda Accord. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And I, <laughs> that I paid for cash and bought. And, right. and so it's stuff like that that people look, people notice. You're not a celebrity. You're a speaker. You didn't cure cancer, buddy. You gave a talk. Like, what is happening? Yeah, so, that's interesting. I'll tell you another thing about families that, that that's awesome. My wife would never admit this, but they come to a lot of my local stuff, a lot of it, Okay. Or she comes to a lot of my local stuff and she like has her own like secret ministry. It's yeah. really funny how many times old church ladies will come up to me and say like, well, I was really having a hard time with this. And then your wife said this one thing and it really has helped me. And 
it's amazing that they see the family and that the family's a witness to them, that they have like their own ministry just of presence, but also like she's building relationships. She talks to people. She, she kind of, in a certain sense, lends me credibility, you know, yeah. to the message. And, and it really, it really is helpful. My wife comes to none of them and listens to none of my podcasts unless I make an yeah, absurd comment and play it for her. But when people but. <laughs> but when people stay at your house, she's she she has the it's like the spirit of Bethany. She's very <laughs> hospitable. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. Though she doesn't view it as ministry, she views it right. as just being alive and being a human person, right? And she has sometimes I feel like she has no idea the profound healing that she has, especially to other women as uh just an, a mentor an example my wife is not preachy i am you know she's not judgmental and people just immediately feel at ease with her and it is a beautiful way so when we have speakers in at our house one of the most common comments is oh my gosh your wife is amazing you i can just barely tolerate now but your wife wow yeah. rock star yeah okay so I now i want to uh, you know we got to move along here how would you talk about the life of a speaker when you're at a church? What are some of the things that you want people to know? Um, you know, wh- like what what does it mean to host an event where you're going to come and speak? What do I like? What do I? Want? Oh, um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm guessing you're more picky than me. I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just guessing. I mean, I'll do anything for any. Ba- yeah. Like I, like I leave just usually feeling like I'm going to die. Yeah. You, you leave it yeah. all, you give it all away on the stage or on the altar or on the whatever. Well, no, no. I mean, people, you know, because of what I talk about, usually, usually schedule like 30 minute sessions with me almost all day, you know? And sometimes the parishes don't even ask. They just say, like, oh, a lady's coming at 10 30. She was hoping she could meet you at the parish office, you know? <laughs> Your life is not my life. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, no, for me, I believe strongly in what I call missional continuity. I was in the church praying one day when I was just starting layevangelist.com nine years ago. And one of the things that had bothered me about speakers was they said, well, this is what I give a talk on. So this is what gave me the allergy to canned talks I talked about earlier. Okay. Um, th- this is what I talk on. It's like, well, we're looking for someone to blah, blah, blah. And this is the audience. And it's like, no, this is what I talk on. Right, right. And you're like, okay, but you have an expertise in this area. I need it to be about this over here. And it's like, yeah, but... I only give this talk. So either I come to your parish and give this talk or I don't come to your parish. Now, okay, whatever, mad props. However, I believe in what's called missional continuity. So I get people all the time that will hire me for an event. and They're like, oh, my gosh, I love you. I heard you on the podcast. I heard you give a talk over here and over there. I want you to come and just talk about whatever you want. Like talk about your favorite thing. I don't like that. I don't like that because I don't know where they're coming from and I don't know where they're going after my talk. So I, so I lay out what I call missional continuity, which is what is the mission with this audience that you already have going? And I'm just here to partner with you because I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to leave. And you're going to have these people, hopefully after the talk, something has changed within them, a new idea, a new, maybe they had a massive conversion, who knows. But the whole idea around it is this talk is meant to be a catalyst, not meant to be a destination. Right. And when you treat it like a destination, I think it causes us to fail at overall ministry within the parish. I, I see what you're saying now. So, you're, yeah, you're, you want to find out where you fit into the overall strategy. 
So like like when I do a life teen event for a local church, I say they'll be like, "No, we want you to come out and just talk to our kids about love and Jesus." And I say, "Well, what are you covering in your semester?" "Oh, you don't need to know that." I'm like, "No, send me your calendar with your curriculum so I can piggyback off of and segue into what you're doing." The true transformation happens in community. And so I have this allergy to full-time speaking, even though I think if I could be unleashed, me and you were talking about that, if we could do this yeah. full-time, that we would oh, produce yeah. so much stuff. But yeah. we have to divide our times into 20 different things. But I don't know. What, what do you think about that comment? What I just said was yeah. kind of controversial. No, no. No, I, I get what you're saying. I completely get what you're saying. I It probably will change the way that I interact with parishes because of what you just said. So you've just changed my life. So that's how <laughs> that's what, what you're saying to them basically is, hey, I want to put the work in for this. I want to I want to actually work for you for this. I mean, because what if they come out and they say well, what we want you to talk about is Jewish life during the time of Jesus. It's like, okay, well that means I'm going to have to like do my work my my work here um as opposed to just like put, you know, pounding a square peg into a round hole. Um and also just this right, the idea of the community what you'll see as a Catholic quote, I'm using air quotes and rolling my eyes so big right now. As a Catholic evangelist, most of your evangelization happens in the car rides from the airport to the to the event, uh, it, with the families that you're staying with, with the people that you interact with during the day. It very rarely happens to the people coming to your talk. I mean, yeah, I hope so. I hope that God uses my talk to move someone one step closer. But when it comes to real evangelization, it's like what Gomer said. It happens in a relationship. And you have to kind of build that relationship. It's it for me. It's 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 torture. I I talking to a million people would not make me nervous at all. But one on one, I get very very nervous. And I just it's like I but I but I know that that's a big part of this job. You know, absolutely, absolutely. If you're there was one piece of advice you could give a church who's thinking about hiring a Catholic speaker for like a parish mission or an event, what would you give that parish? Uh, don't let that be the first thing you do in evangelization at the parish. Yeah. Cap it, make it sure it's the cap and not the, not the first thing you do. Okay. So make a strategy, you know? Yeah. Uh, so before we go to our break, we should, I I want people to read this article by Marcel Jean because honestly, as eloquent as we were, his is way better and more pithy. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, catholicmissionarydisciples.com. That's Marcel's, Marcel Lejeune's um, apostolate, his ministry, um, and he has a wonderful blog, Why You Probably Don't Want to Be a Catholic Speaker. Yeah, it's awesome. And if you, if you haven't read Catholic Missionary Disciples yet, uh, his blog is fantastic. Every, everyone that comes out, I read and I benefit greatly from. All right, when we come back from this brief word from Ascension Press, who is awesome and sponsors all this stuff, we are going to dive into the five practical takeaways. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. 
The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. We just always want to stop and say thank you to Ascension Press for uh, taking a risk on us two incredibly handsome Catholic evangelists uh, to let us have this podcast. We love it. We love doing it. And we truly use the products that, that, that they talk about. Well, I'm actually bringing Jeff out. How funny. I'm bringing Jeff out to do his Activated Disciple Talks in my parish in November. And he's coming out a day early with his wife. Check this out. So that they can go do prison ministry with our group together. How cool whoa, is that? Whoa, that's awesome. Yeah. Jeff is a man who puts his money where his mouth is. He is living the life in evangelist. I love it. I love it. Um, so now for our five practical takeaways. Here we go. Number one, pray for your favorite Catholic speaker. I think that you got to pray the narcissism and pride and arrogance away, but you also want to make sure that what they're doing is what the Lord wants them to be doing. And also pray that they can support their family a little bit, especially if I'm your guy. I mean, if there's one person out there who chooses me, pray for my family. Yeah, good call. Good call. I'm, I'm always focusing on the negative. I'm like, everyone's a sinner and they're in away from burning in hell. This uh, this episode is going to be like people are like, oh, they were a little bit angry today. Uh, uh, number two, okay, number two practical takeaway. Uh, read Marcel's article, okay? Uh, Catholic Missionary Disciples. We're going to link to it in the show notes. Uh, it's it's just an excellent article uh, for everyone. It's not just for people who are aspiring to be a Catholic speaker. It's just a good article to read, and his blog is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Number three, evaluate your most recent event and ask yourself. So this is someone who hosted one, someone who attended, or someone who offered one. Look at it and ask yourself, did this really have the impact we were hoping? And one of the best ways to do it is say two or three weeks later, did it have that impact? Is that impact still felt? Uh, number four, number four, okay? If you are one of these people who are, is interested in, in becoming a, quote, eye roll Catholic speaker, Okay. <laughs> uh, I want just evaluate why. Why do you want to do that? Because I think a lot of people they desire deeply to evangelize, and they think that that's what that means. But it's just it's really not the case. So evaluate your motives. Is it is it so that you can support your family? That's not so bad. Is it so that you can kind of get some credibility or some notability? Uh, getting dicey there. Why exactly do you want to speak to people? Uh, and if it's really not coming out of a deep desire or call, really, that God has put on your life, it might not be the best idea. An evangelist from India said, the biggest problem I see with American speakers is that they think they're going to have the way to have the biggest impact for the gospel is by being the most famous, is by being, he said, but for us in India, we know that the biggest impact we can have for the gospel is by being hidden for Christ. That's awesome. And that's when I heard awesome. that, I was like, that, that's the right attitude to have. So number five, number five, community. Try to learn something new about somebody already in your life. Yeah, we're pivoting away from the Catholic speaker thing because evangelization doesn't belong on a stage, okay? So Patrick Lencioni in his, um, one, of her, one of his books, um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, has these questions. And I would ask you to go sit down with someone and just say, you know, what, what happened in your 
childhood that still affects you today? That was a question that I heard someone ask his spouse, and she told him stories. He said, I never knew this after 15 years of marriage. So try to learn something new about someone already in your life. Keep that relationship going. This is Every Knee Shall Bow, and we will talk to you next week. Please pray for us. We pray for you. God bless you all.